Hello there. We should all be good. We should be in. Oh, okay. I just always get thrown off because when I look at like the, the video, I can see us doing our sync up at the start. Oh, all right. I, yeah. I always get confused by that. It's like, wait, I thought no one could see this. Why am I seeing us sync up our audio? Private. That's supposed to be our special private times between me and you. <laughs> and people are going to learn our secret synchronization and editing techniques. And we can't share those. Without those, Super Fact secret. Fiend would be nothing. Super duper secret. Well, that's, they are. We get asked about them enough, don't we? I mean, so we, I what... we just clap and then tell a stupid not-not joke that really isn't applicable when we're melting. Yeah, God, man, it's, uh, so we, is it a second heat wave today? Oh, God, yeah, the start, I think. It feels, or, like, it feels like one. Or maybe just... yesterday was the start. But either way, it's shit and we spoke about it a lot, but it's going to be shit again. Yes, so it's very warm, so you have to forgive our... Um, uh slovenly appearance i think it's mm-hmm. um uh, diplomatic to say for us both and it's the rooms are a little darker than they maybe otherwise would be at this point in the day because we both just got things that like the sun cannot get in do not just let the sun in block it out mr like burns the, it like the mario sun is outside and he's frowning <laughs> which i contend is one of the scariest parts of your childhood because that shit me up oh, i yeah. had no idea like things in games could do that well that's the thing isn't it that's got to be like one of the first times that just an enemy like that has appeared where it's like oh no it's just part of the scenery it's like nothing to worry about and then next thing you know it's an actual enemy yeah and uh it's one of those things as well just from gaming that it's, it still holds up i think in terms of a threat because i mean it's it's, just... i think it has to because people still meme on it now if it like you know being like you know an absolute roadblock for um, people playing that series and mm-hmm. I'm consistently baffled that we still find out things from video games that old to this day. Like, did you see the other day someone figured out there's a secret button combination for punch out where you can play two player yeah. mode? Yeah, there's just it, twenty-eight years later has a fucking two player mode in it. Twenty-eight years after the fact, it's got two player mode in there, and they're like, "What? what? Like, this is super punch out on the SNES." You think that game's been torn apart, like down yeah. to like its nuts and bolts, and there's still stuff in there that people don't know. And it's like, it turns out that if you've got a second controller port plugged in, you like hold certain buttons and then on the second pad to then press buttons on the first pad. And then if you've got to that new secret menu, you then hold buttons on the second pad again. And it's like, I mean, I can see why it's been hard to fi- like figure that out. But like, you, you just assume at this point that like everything is like been data mined to shit and everyone knows everything about those old games yeah especially the ones that i played as much as those ones it's like um it blew my mind where i learned the chain chomps in mario can escape their chains oh yeah they can yeah yeah. if you let if you stand next to a chain chomp and you let charge like 50 times it breaks off its chain and chases you through the entire level and it's like who the fuck put that in (laughs) who's still there long enough to do that is that, can you imagine though, like coming back as a kid when you just run the toilet and like yeah, left the chain goes on, and then next thing you know, like you just walk past it and it's like, oh no, the chain chomps broke free. It's coming to get you, and you're like, dear God, now this is it. This is this, like new fear unlocked, <laughs> just new phobia unlocked for childhood of just like giant screaming balls of um, uh, doggy fury. I mean, I'm I'm scared of giant screaming balls of doggy fury. That's the one. That's what it was based on, wasn't it? It was a big scary dog that scared the shit out of me and most wanted to walk home and it had to run mm-hmm. past the garden it was in. Because it yeah. just always gets to the very end of its chain mm-hmm. and almost get him. And he wanted to replicate that fear in Mario. But uh, yeah, today's episode... Uh, one, two, three. One, two, three! I don't Which mind that one. We That's are... Nice season next week's episode will be like um, episode 100 of 
the non-brew season. So we're, t- we're taking that one off then, yeah? <laughs> just, just, just take that one off episode 100 and, just take that one off so it never gets released like make it or just say we did it and never release it mm-hmm. and if anyone asks us say well we did make it it was released did you not hear like did you not listen to it we talked about like oh no all your favorite stuff it's like what yeah, we talked right about now. everything requested just gaslight our audience about whether or not we're actually um, uh, doing it's there stuff. just find it in the, the feed it'll be there it'll be there it's fine remember that thing we did for what was it oh, I think it was years of um, we just say yeah, if you want to go to the um, the channel, if you want to play Smash Bros with go us. To the just go to the private Discord. And now we have a private Discord. So like Joe makes no sense. He's like, damn. Just be like, yeah, there's a secret Discord out there. The code is in there for for you guys to join in. Admittedly, there's like three Discords below those Discords. Like we have mm-hmm. Discords within Discords within Discords within group chats and um, uh, all that good stuff. The amount of different ones I've got for like different groups and stuff, and just like. Oh, I've got, like, you know, I'm in one for my Twitch stuff, I'm in one for your Twitch stuff, I'm in mm-hmm. one for, like, just us to chat, I'm in one for us to be, like, fat theme recording. There's the Untitled Side Channel Discord for, like, Patreon members now. And that's, like, just for Fat Fiend Untitled Side Channel. I actually had to make another Discord server to invite someone to for recording last weekend. Mm-hmm. So I had to make, like, because I've got a new video coming out with, like, a guest on, so I was like... We can't invite a guest to like an already public server or whatever, so I'll make another one. So I've got like a sixth one there, and I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, I think I saw that because when I logged into my Discord, she recorded that in my house. Your Discord mm-hmm. was still logged in. I was like, who oh, the yeah. fuck are all these people? And, oh, it's Luke's Discord. Let's just log out and log back into my. Yeah. Well, thank you for not abusing it. Well, I could have done. I could have just gone onto all your servers and been like, ah, why would I do that? <laughs> I'm in my thirties now. I'm not. I'm, I'm too old. I'm too old to do something like that because I know it'd bite me in the ass because I can't mm. use the excuse of, like, oh, come on. It's like, no, this is my work and professional life, mate. Calm down. Yeah. And then it'd be like, why is, like, you know, the Macaulay Culkin shock face being used for every single fat fiend thumbnail? Oh, no. Like, That's how you get your revenge. <laughs> you get your revenge. It's like, you control my work life. You control my public image. What can I do? That's the thing. Like, yeah. We um, trust each other with an inordinate amount of power over each other's um, personal social lives. Speaking of, um, you know, having, you know, I'd say like control over your public image. Okay. There's an so... interesting thing that arrived in the post for me yesterday, Carl. Okay. This is a segue and a half, so I'm curious where this is going. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, after we, we collaborated and made a video about it, I decided mm-hmm. I would uh, purchase my own copy of the game Lady's Choice. Has this got a poster in it? This is the version with the poster in it. Uh, I think was a, I'm not supposed to see that. You're not supposed to see it? Yeah, John has been very specific that I'm not to see it. I'm supposed to give my Until live reaction when? to it in a video he's going to sponsor, but I'm not sure if okay. it's the poster you get or if there's a special poster that I'm getting. It's been very like unclear, and I've not spoke to him in a couple of weeks. I'm still waiting on it to be my version to be delivered. Oh, no. So that I wouldn't want to piss you off. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, because I don't know if it's something that I am going to get specifically made yeah. for me, or if it's the same version you guys got, or if it's a specialised version of it. So I wouldn't like to spoil that for him if that happens to be the case. Well, if that's the case, because I, I never knew that. Neither to did clarify, that's bro, it. I was just going to surprise Carl with it. So I'd, I didn't um, realise you are like making an additional video. Yeah, let's so err on the side of caution and just say, because I could double check right now, but I might take a few minutes to dig back through take, my emails and stuff. You might you take have a while. So you can so continue I have the, it. The teasing. And now that I know that I can't tell you what it is, that's a bit of a shame. 
But I will say it's like something that wasn't expecting. Okay. So this is making me really nervous now. It's fine. Like it's a funny thing. Okay. Um. But just yeah, I'll it. Now that I can't show you, I'll just say you know. But the segue was accurate of like me having some kind of effect on your public image. And that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Oh, for fuck's sake. Is this, I, this thing I really don't like inside jokes, so I hope it's not an inside joke because then we it's have to explain it. It's not an inside it. joke. Okay. It's um, it's a joke specific to like, you know, something in this whole process that we've gone through. With oh, right, choice. So that's me. I've um, been a bit scattered lately in regards to um, stuff involved the channel because, you know, it's spread so thin. Um, just there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I've been trying, like, you know, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies, and there's only so much you can do when you've, like, you know, just fingers in pies. So we've got um, uh, the side channel, the current channel. There's um, all the stuff I'm doing for both because I have to mm-hmm. write all the articles for Fact Fiend. I'm writing stuff for Untitled Side Channel, recording stuff for Untitled Side Channel. Brad is moving back to Sheffield. Um, uh, so we're currently in the process of trying to figure out, um, uh, like, um, uh, a work recording and streaming schedule. Um, mm-hmm. There's also like you know mine and yours individual streaming schedules, so we can plug those now. Mine's Carl Smallwood, just on everything. Yours is Legend of Canto underscore yes. No, no. So mine for you know my Twitch is twitch.tv slash Legend of Canto, and then uh, my social accounts where it's like you know my um, Insta, TikTok, and Twitter are all Canto Legend underscore, and you can find you know links to that stuff in the description of the podcast. But I will quickly say. I'm very excited for the, the Twitch stream I'm going to do tomorrow. Yes, that's a, a new uh, game or something, isn't it? New game, so? new indie game coming out called Cult of the Lamb. Um, and it like, you know, it's part like um, kind of like village simulation of like recruiting new people into your cult. And it's like got a very cutesy art style where you're like animals and you're the lamb, mm-hmm. the last lamb alive. And like um, you start the this powerful, cult like and you have lamb. to then go through like, you know, um, like kind of, top-down uh, dungeon crawling like similar to like you know hades but a bit more simplistic um, and then go take down bosses and stuff and then go okay. back to the village and kind of go through that cycle and i'll be streaming that the night of this podcast going live for for like you know youtube and spotify folks and stuff um mm-hmm. just found out today though when the review's gone live that it's also got a twitch extension which means that like chat in game can like go into a raffle to become the next cult member and, like, design their own villager and stuff. Oh, um, you are going to get so many, like, edgy the hedgy, heterochromia yeah. motherfuckers, and like, rolling up into I your village. I don't know how specific, like, the, the customization is, but, like, I thought that they it. can do that through the game and they can, like, use the Twitch app to design the little simple village character and stuff and then they can make, like, they can influence, like, rituals inside of the village or they can like that's kind of neat yeah influence um what pickups and stuff i get in the dungeon and things i was like that's really clever that like we're getting to that point now where games are actually you know integrating themselves properly within twitch rather than just me having to do it myself as a streamer kind of thing yeah they're acknowledging twitch as a platform and as an influence of like you know like be positive on their game success mm-hmm I can't think of any way to acknowledge it more directly than that. And um, speaking of Twitch, there's like, like Nisha and Brad's Twitch. Like Nisha is uh, at Midnight Niche and Brad's is at Overdog. But I think he made another one. And that's one of the things we have to discuss with those guys. Okay. And yeah. we have the upcoming live event at the end of this month. Um, tickets for which you can find below. Um, that will be in the city of Sheffield. I'm currently in the process of sorting that out. Because mm-hmm. me and you had to figure out um, uh, 
getting the guitars to work. I'm currently speaking to um, the owner of the bar where it's going to be, like set up the stages, working out deposits, like how much stuff's going to be behind the bar, how many people we need, set up for that. Um, any additional things we need for getting like beer mats and stuff made as souvenirs for people. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's just, it's, I've, it's, I've had a lot on. So it's I apologize thing, to John. Of, like, when you look at the difference between like Fact Fiend when I joined and mm-hmm. Fact Fiend now, a few years later, is like obviously uh, we also have, you know, one extra person helping with like some of the um, event stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. But realistically, like for the last few years, the team has stayed the exact same size for the most part, and like we've just taken on more and more responsibilities yeah, and added our, extra work and stuff. Our like. obligations and commitments have increased. Like I'd say, like two, three folds. Like for me mm-hmm. personally, the amount of work I do, I thought it was less because I'm, well, I'm writing less articles now. And then I realised I'm writing less articles because I used to write five articles a week, mm-hmm. and now I'm down to three. But, well, you know, I'm getting two extra days off. It's like no, in those two days, I'm like filming streaming recording the podcast recording the tiktoks doing stuff for the side channel and then all of like you know the and the behind the scenes and maintenance for it like sorting out the office all that good stuff but then also maintaining a social media presence on like the five social medias that have like come into existence since i started using them it's like whoa it's a lot you don't realize it creeps up on you so i apologize if i've been a bit scatterbrained in both my recollections of things recently and um just in my presence online Mm-hmm. I, I'm stretched a bit thin at the moment. I'm trying to do my best. But you mentioned Twitch streaming, and uh, I wanted to talk about something I encountered. But I was streaming the game Dante's Inferno. So, are you oh. familiar with the game Dante's Inferno? I am to the point where, like, I'm apparently the one who inspired you to fucking play it. So, Dante's Inferno, Lucas, describe it to the audience at home. Um, so it's kind of like, as far as I'm aware, you know, a not great character action game from back in about 2010, made by EA. I think it's basically, yes. you know, think kind of like Devil May Cry, God of War vibes, but not particularly like, you know, um, uh, you know, as well received, but in that kind of vein of game. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, a very edgelordy character with a scythe that he got from death at the start of the game, I believe. Yep. And he's got like the emblazoned red cross stitched into his skin. And he like has to fight through all of the layers of hell inspired yep. by like, um, ooh, I can't remember the name of the poem, but by Dante. Yeah, Dante's Inferno by Dante Alighieri. Is it called Dante's Inferno? Right? Dante's Inferno, yes. And you are, and something I didn't realize until right at the end of the game is you're actually playing as Dante Alighieri. You're not playing as like some random dude going through hell. You are playing as him. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but the game is one of the edgiest games ever made. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't regret playing it because I think it's a very useful time capsule to see this is what video games used to be and this is what they could have become. So you just talked about there. Like a like you know a like a, a wholesome little indie game, merely based around like you know a, a macabre concept, but was like you yeah. know a lot of love and care, and I'm guessing a lot of inclusivity options as most indie games include these days. Um, I'm not sure about inclusivity options. I, I like as far as I've seen customization wise and stuff, it's just oh here's a bunch of villages where you're just like cute little lambs and squirrels mm-hmm. wearing death robes and you know worshiping a totem of a god. It's like oh, okay. By inclusivity, though, I mean just like, you know, just in the uh, the wider sense of like the people who are working on the game and being invited to play and review it and stuff like that. Yeah, for Whereas, sure. And there's definitely like, um, 
there's a, a wide variety of streamers I've seen playing the demo and previewing it and reviewing it and stuff. And then like yeah. also there's a lot of accessibility options in the game. Um, stuff like yeah, know, text the... size options and subtitles and like anti flicker and stuff for like light sensitive people. Which is just a rep, like a representation of the industry as a whole making a step forward mm-hmm. um, uh, for inclusivity in like you know for everyone to enjoy video games. Whereas Dante's Inferno is firmly in that dude bro edge lord era of video games. I'm yeah. so glad he's dead. And I don't think it's like more perfectly summed up than by a moment I experienced right at the very end of the game. Because there's a system in the game you mentioned that you get death scythe throughout the game. You get mm-hmm. death scythe, and you also get a cross that belongs to your wife. Who is not a character but a plot device, which is you know problematic in of itself. But um, you have a gameplay mechanic of you can absolve or punish the various denizens of hell that you encounter, and including some real people from like history and some figures from mythology. Okay. And there is a moment in that game that was so bad I had to put my controller down and I I Macaulay Culkin says I I can't believe this made it into a video game. Oh, no. like, given the, the hindsight of modern sensibilities, mm-hmm. it's so bad. So I'm just going to describe the screenshot I have in front of me. And, it's, um, and it makes it funny as well, because I had a gimmick on my stream of, um, are we going to punish everyone we find or absolve everyone we find? And absolve is just like good boy mode, mm-hmm. the little PNG of Bible man. And then killing everyone is called edge mode. We're a picture of Zack Snyder. Oh, <laughs> So keep in mind there's a picture of Zack Snyder on this screenshot with edge mode underneath. Is... Um... It, like, I don't know if you looked into it. Is it one of those games like Bioshock where um, you basically have to lean one or the other or you get punished? Like you have to punish everyone or absolve everyone. Otherwise, you get like the shit ending. You can max out both very easily if you like um, uh, just spam certain attacks. But mm-hmm. one mo- method of attack is way better than the other one for mechanical reasons. That's too boring to get into, into the podcast. But check out my channel. Um, uh, I have the link below or you can search for it where you can see like the full playthrough I break it down in more detail but the screenshot is simply um, so you're in a section of hell this is the section of hell for deceivers because like you know everyone in Dante Alighieri's epic poem like there's different sections of hell for different tiers of sins and one of the deepest and darkest pits of hell where you are subjected to the most like you know infernal punishment imaginable is um, specifically laid out for deceivers and the deceiver that you encounter um, is a lady called um, uh, Tiresias. I'm just going to read out their description for you verbatim. The blind prophet of Thebes judged to the eighth circle of fraud. He changed himself from man to woman, indulging in the pleasures of both. And then you simply have an option at the bottom that says punish or absolve. And just everything about that screenshot made me lose my shit because I could not... I was like, this is bad. Like labeling that as a deceiver and like somebody that changed from like you know what man to woman did you say to like yep. indulge in both is like oh my god and they're for, and they've been sent to hell for the punishment of deceiving others yeah and then it dead names them uh, not dead names but, uh, but like you know misgenders them right there in the descriptor mm. and the fact that they're in hell already frames it as this is the person who belongs to me. and then what makes it even worse is. After the fact, I was curious. Like, is this a real person from history? That's is this like a mythological figure? Yeah. It turns out they are a mythological figure from Greek mythology. Okay. And it turns out that their real story from mythology is nothing like this at all. It was, I believe it is, a guy who gets cursed by the gods to become a woman, mm-hmm. lives their life as a woman, finds the gods again, is like, what the fuck, turn me back, and gets turned back. And the makers of this game are like, nah. 
Let's just make it super transphobic, put it in the game, give the option to murder them for deceiving others. And it's just like, I legit like stopped playing the game. I was like, this is bad. And this is something I'm so glad we've left behind. Well, that era yeah, of video games. Fucking hell. Like, as you say, just like full on openly transphobic. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, let's just deal with it. So Dante's Inferno, what year did that come out? 2010. I've got it in front of me 2010, now. 2010, right, okay, yeah. Um, dear God, so you, you think back to, like, this is literally 12 years ago. And that's... Oh, God, that's bad. Like, I don't it's even also, know what to say. That's the one, and I was just like, one of the things I mentioned on my stream is, it's like, this is such a perfect encapsulation of why this era of video games can go fuck itself. Mm-hmm. And why when you see people like harkening back for the good old days of video gaming, this is what they want. Like well, when like, they talk about like, the era of Call of Duty and stuff, do you know that thing of like, you wouldn't last in a Call of Duty lobby? It's like, you just thing. want to be openly racist to people. Why would because you want that? I don't mind when people have like rose tinted lenses in terms of like, oh, I really love like, you know, SNES games and I love like pixel aesthetics and stuff like that. But when it's like, oh, let's get back to the good old 360 days of game. And I'm like, where everything was grey and everyone just screamed racist, horrible, like, slurs to each other in open lobbies. It's like, I don't want every bit of gaming to revolve around the idea that we need to market something to a 14-year-old man mm-hmm. or, you know, boy at that age. Like, I mean, It's something I say, as like I mentioned, like, in the game, your wife is like a plot device. Mm-hmm. And every moment she is on screen, it tits her out. Literally every moment she is on screen just tits her out on display. Really well rendered as well, and that's one of the things that's really annoying. It's like the game looks really good, but it's in service of this absolute tripe of a storyline. But uh, the basic plot line is she gets taken to hell because she makes a deal with the devil that you, the main character, would not be a piece of shit. Your main character is a piece of shit, and the devil kidnaps her soul. And your character's like, give me back my wife. And the only time which... Um, in which your wife is shown wearing anything that's like modest is when she is like taken over by the devil. Of course. So, and if anything, like, so it just shows it's like she has more modesty, agency, and control over her own like destiny when she's not directly linked to your main character. I mean, I didn't know too much about the game other than it being like not overly well received. And I played, like, the demo back in the day and was like, ugh, no. No, thank you. And, um, yeah, I didn't realise how how fucking bad it was, especially looking back with this more modern lens. Yeah, and that's why I think it's valuable to do that, to see, like, this is how far we've come. And, Lucas, would you like to just discuss the marketing of this game? Because, like, this is one of those things where EA were all in on this, where Mm. they thought this was going to be the, the next God of War. It, this yeah, came I, out. I remember it having a big marketing footprint at the time, like a huge one. Mm-hmm. So we have it here. So before the game's release, Dante's Inferno underwent a prominent, at the time, elaborate marketing campaign led by the game's publisher, Electronic Arts. The numerous advertisements highlight certain sins associated with the circles of hell. At time, promoting fake services before accusing the viewer of a sin linked to it. So we have here, like Electronic Arts, in part with GameStop for a one-day promotion. Um, where on the game uh, on the year September 9th, 2009 so the date would be 999 uh, mm-hmm. that pre-orders of the game would get you a $6.66 discount and that one's fine Okay, yeah. a, bit on, a bit on the nose but mm-hmm. sure, you know, number of the beast 
They also conducted an unsolicited mailing in which checks for $200 were sent to video game critics with the following note. In Dante's Inferno, greed is a two-headed beast. Hoarding wealth feeds one beast and squandering it satiates the other. By cashing this check, you succumb to avarice by hoarding. Filthy lucre, but not cashing it, you waste it. Thereby surrender to prodigality. Whatever that word means. That's a really cool word. I'm going to have to look what that means. Um, I'd also argue that it wouldn't be wasting any money. It's from, but that's the thing as well of they sent money to games journalists, you know, that mm-hmm. well-paid lucrative position of games reviewer and then admonish them for cashing a check from Electronic Arts. If you're not trying to cast your check to like, cash that shit straight anyone, away. If anyone can't tell, like game reviewers are very underpaid. Mm-hmm. And game journalists in generally aren't paid well. They're just like, you know, it's one of those things of like, well, you give a shit about what you're talking about, so you shouldldn't be paid very well. Because mm-hmm. you'll want to do it anyway. But um, yeah. yeah, the idea that like, oh yeah, no, you know, games journalists for a long time have had to stave off the ideas that weird fanboys come up with of like you were paid off to to give this game x rating and that's one of the things as well of like that's a really bad look because they they also in their note say well if you waste this um uh, you're wasting money that could be used to help somebody so you're shitting on them either way Mm -hmm. another viral marketing campaign was launched and uh, and featured a website and ad for a fake religious game called mass we pray a motion controller-based game supposedly allowing players to engage in interactive prayer and church sermon. When you attempted to order the game, the website would deem you a heretic and play a trailer for Dante's Inferno. I mean, I don't mind that. That's pretty. That one's kind of fun, and that's the. But they, uh, I think, this shows how all in they were mm-hmm. on this game. So like, they yeah. were like, and the game, I lost my shit so hard when it ends with this super edgy cutscene where your main character hasn't learned anything. And it shows them on like you know the steps to heaven, and the thing at the bottom comes up to be continued. Oh wow! And I lost my shit. Looked it up. No sequel cancelled two years later. And I'd argue as well, like it wasn't the necessarily like the marketing. Like I, I again, like the the that moment that we talked about earlier is like awful to look at now. But not many people talked about it back then, so it wouldn't no have been did. enough to like kick up a fuss when it was released. The game just got bad reviews. Yeah, and that's one of the things, like the benefit of hindsight, and I think it's worth going back to these older games. I would have never known that was in the game. No. I do the thing I talk about with Revengeance, having like the the weird messaging of like, kill the police for bonus style points and mm. no one talking about it, and it's really compellingly distressing for me that no one's talking about it despite it being popular now. It's the same thing with this, of like, Man, this just completely flew under the radar because no one gave a shit back then. And um, it's kind they of... They just cared that the game was bad. Come up a little bit today, almost. Um, almost the opposite of this rising thing of, like, today um, was either the release or the review embargo, at very least, of um, Spider-Man PC release. Okay. And as a lot of people are like, in 2018 it felt a little bit weird, but in 2022, like, setting up a police surveillance state in the middle of New York... Not mm-hmm. being framed as like a good thing and helping the cops out. That game already four years later feels like real bad, real yeah, bad playthrough. It. Like, yeah, we we did when we did a playthrough of it. Like, what twenty twenty? Yeah, and, and even then it was like, cool. It's aged poorly because you have Spider Man going. Police are the real heroes. The police would never violate anyone's civil liberties. And, and we talked about how like in- a year or two later, it's like, oh, you know, all the, the BLM stuff happened and yeah. it was a big surge and it's like against that kind of mentality. It's how we talked about like with Miles Morales, like they're going to have to address this because 
in a short time. I, I contend that that game is one of the quickest, uh, one of the quickest. Uh, it's the quickest a game has aged poorly because it's like core 2018 message. Spider Man, not Miles yeah, Morales. Just, yeah. yeah, the 2018 Spider Man. Its core message was out of date within six months. Oh, we have. Luke's, I just not... realised how like blue all backgrounds are while we're saying this. That's not no, bad. Oh, no, no. But it's all right, though, Luke. Are you ready for some more stuff they did? Because they didn't just do this. They also created an application called Go to Hell for Facebook, and that lets users condemn their friends, groups, or photos one of the nine circles of hell, where users can vote to punish, absolve, or torment them with activities like beast massage or succubus castration. In 2009, EA sent a series of packages to various reviewers, including um, uh, Veronica Belmont um, of PlayStation Official Magazine, Ben Yahtzee Crossshaw. The package contained a small wooden box, which when open play, Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Thus, Rick rolling the journalist that received it. The music could not be stopped by any means other than by destroying the box, using the hammer and goggles provided. After destroying the box, um, a note read that they had given in to Wrath. As the note that they found within the box, but and you know what? I support doing that. Yeah, I was. That's I was actually kind of good. Until the note came into, I was like, "What does Rick Astley have to do with Dante's Inferno?" It, and it's like, "Yeah, okay." They even Lucas. This is how much they pushed it. A commercial for the game was shown during the Super Bowl. Fucking hell! That's a lot of money. Another secretly, fake, another secretly fake commercial for the fictional company Hawk Panther encouraged viewers to visit the Hawk Panther website in order to steal their best friend's girlfriend. Um, if the link found, uh, if the link to find out more about the Hawk Panther systems is clicked on a message, a message appears stating treachery. Thou art condemned to the ninth circle. You have broken the bond of trust with thy kindred. You shall pay for your treachery by spending an eternity immersed up to your face, the place where shame itself shows in the putrid frozen waters of hell. The site would also show a trailer for Dante's Inferno and a link to buy the game. And then when you click on the link, it should say EA have succumbed to greed. <laughs> it's yeah. like EA shall be condemned to a night. Prior to the release, in June, a protest began at E3 2009 in LA to oppose the game. Around 20 protesters claimed to be from a church in Ventura County held up signs that called the game sacrilegious and labelled it possibly insensitive to people's belief. And the protesters went as far as calling EA the Antichrist. Which, you know, is accurate. And this led to EA being accused by many people of staging the fiasco as a marketing hoax. A few days later, it was officially confirmed by EA spokesman, Tammy Shater, that they had hired the people to protest the game and there'd be no actual protest. Oh, fucking hell. Like, so they, even, they hired people to protest their own thing because not enough people gave a shit. I was going to say, tell me no one gives a shit about your game without telling me no one gives a shit about your game. That's the thing, like, listen to how much push they gave that. And I have the reviews here. It, oh, man. This is funny. It got a consistent 7 out of 10 from everybody. Oh, really? Okay. Everybody gave it 7 out of 10, except for IGN, who gave 4.5, but that was on the PSP. Oh, Everyone right, okay. reviewing it for the Xbox and the PS3 gave it a 7 um, out of 10. Which I think just goes to show of like a game that can... Because it was aggressively unfun to play. I was going to say, so middle of the road. Yeah, every individual design decision in that game actively hampers your ability to have fun. Mm-hmm. And as well, it's just like, you know, just... A, I used the term when I was playing it of like, this is just morally repugnant. It is offensive, but I don't mean offensive in the sense like, you know, it does it says something, but I mean like it is offensive to like people's basic inherent human dignity mm-hmm. of the things it is asking you to do and casually dropping as sins that deserve to be punished. 
Yeah. Like there's a bit in the game where he gets like the, the Circle of Wrath and they have uh, the, the Celtic folk hero, Boudicca. And it tells you like, what the fuck's... And I saw that and went, I know Boudicca, what the fuck's she doing in hell? Mm. And it tells like, do you want to know what Boudicca did as described by the game? Oh, God. oh, she saw her daughters get raped and murdered in front of her, raise an army and slaughter the people who did it. She's condemned to hell for being angry. It's like, what? I'll be well, the people who did it, aren't it? So, oh, they succumb to the, um, like, you know, the, the sin of anger and wrath. It's like, but that's super justified. And that's <laughs> the thing is, like, I get making a video game about this, but then maybe you shouldn't take it so literally and maybe there should be, like, a statement to be said about, like, Questioning, well, why is this person in hell for that? And that's like, one of the things that defended her daughters or whatever. And that's one of the things that got me off of if that game would have been released now, I was saying if they made this game but with the same tone as Senwa's Sacrifice, Joe, mm. which handles a similar thing, like you go know, going into an afterlife and experiencing that. Uh, that was the Norse mythology, isn't it? Uh, their idea of the afterlife, I believe. It's set uh, Viking times, if I remember correctly. So. I've not, I've not played through Senwa's Sacrifice. I just know where. Uh, you know, bits and pieces about the game. With, like, the super meaty, visceral combat. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, they had, uh, I believe, and this, again, it just speaks to how much the industry has grown. They had pe- experts on mental health come in to talk to them yeah. and, like, advise them on how to make things in that game not be like, you know, offensive to people like, afflicted with those conditions. One of the top credits on the game when you you start the game, um, I believe, is, like, mental health advisors. That's like, if they yeah. made this today, and it was like, you know, a, just a trip through this realm and it could be like you know I don't like to use the term walk, walking simulator but some of the best parts of that game are just walking through the various depictions of hell right okay of like you know here, here's the realm of sloth and here's other people who are punished for like you know being you could like just have a bit where you walk through that a couple of combat encounters seeing all this like super cool visual imagery mm-hmm. like you know maybe have like you know a voiceover reading like lines from the poem and then you go to the next depths it's like boss fights at the end of each one yeah, make it like you know, four hours long, done. And that—that's—it sounds like that should have been more like what the game is, because from what you've mentioned offhand to me, is like that game is just padding beyond belief. Yeah, it's from that again. It's another—it's a relic of that era of we need to get value. Mm-hmm. There needs to be value in this video game, so it can't just be three hours of combat because then people will stop playing it after three hours. It has to have. Seven hours of shitty fucking platforming in it as well. It's like, ugh. I think um, my playthrough took me like seven hours and five hours of it spent doing platforming. Yeah, and that's in the a thing hack and is, slash adventure game. This is prime time for um, single player games having multiplayer modes added onto them just willy nilly, like the Tomb Raider reboot, um, Bioshock Dead Two, Space. Dead Space Two and Three. Like this was prime prime time for those like random multiplayer additions because guess what we don't want a single player game that's going to last five to 20 hours that people Mm -hmm. are going to play through and then they're going to um they're going to sell back and get or they're going to buy it second hand or they're going to rent it like they need something to get like the claws stuck into make sure as you say there's like value there well guess what dante's inferno had as dlc was it some shitty multiplayer thing and a multiplayer mode, yes, with a character who is unnamed in the story. Fab, yeah. How does multiplayer mode work for that, then? Um, it's just you both play as characters with the same moveset, but it's like 
bloody palace where you're just killing endless enemies. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, just bloody palace mode, basically, yeah. But what made it so disappointing for me is, like, oh, it's made by Visceral Games. Was it? Yeah. And, like, they went on to make, like, Dead Space. Well, no, they like, were they were making Dead Space 1 and 2. Uh, I think Dead Space 2 came out in 2010 as well, I think. Did it? Let's have a look. Pretty Dead sure. Space 2. Dead Space, the first game. Let's have a look. Dead Space is a uh, science fiction horror space. Dis- oh, wait. What's the game? Dead Space. 2008, you say? Dead Space 1? And then... Two 2008? Was- they'd already made Dead Space and then they made this piece of shit? Yeah, like, Dead Space 2, I'm pretty sure, was dead, like, 2010 as well. So maybe there's two teams at Visceral. That's fucking bad. Like, they'd yeah. already made Dead Space. Which, you know, it's not fantastic story-wise, but it does have those elements of, I mean, like... I mean, I'd argue that Dead Space 1 was pretty fucking great story-wise. I mean, like, it's a bit Like, generic. simplistic. Yeah, it's a very simple story, but it's told very well, and they do and, like, have... like, it had a cool plot twist. And the themes of, like, Isaac Clarke slowly losing his mind. Mm-hmm. I thought they were really interesting. 2 and it's 3 like, off uh, the rails. I, I hate the story of course, of 2 yeah. and 3, but, like, I think Dead Space 1 had a pretty damn solid story, as simplistic as it was. Really tight, really like you know, well made, and just like solid foundations on which they built a franchise, which just fell over. Yeah. But, man, like Dead Space Two, I, I love in hell. terms of like, you know, atmosphere and gameplay and stuff, but the story is just it goes so far off the rails and so far into like this weird, like shit about the marker, and then they double down on it in Dead Space Three, and it's just ugh. Dead Space Three ends on a cliffhanger where a moon comes in, and it's like I don't care. <laughs> made that classic blunder of like the scale of every story's got to go up and I think Dead Space 2 nailed it because they do have those action set pieces and those action set pieces are fucking amazing mm-hmm. and they thought we have to top it don't top it the, um... what, you do, what you do after that is you go back to a smaller scale story Yeah, bring it back down refocus the mechanics tighten those up and then when you do a sequel with those new refined mechanics then you can go back up that's you one can't of those just keep games, increasing though. in scale. Dead Space 3 is one of those games where I wish they got to make the Dead Space 3 they were wanting to make in the first place. And not the Dead Space 3 they were forced to make. Yeah, like the one with a lot less emphasis co-op. on just like gunfights and where the co-op was meant to be like that both players were hallucinating and couldn't see the same things as each other. Yeah. But and instead it, they just turned into Call of Duty in space. Mm-hmm. And then they put all the microtransactions in because that was peak era for just shitty microtransactions. And Dead Space is, for better and worse, like a pioneer of that. Of like the amount of, especially like, you know, console exclusive DLC those games got. Do you remember like the first Dead Space had console exclusive DLC that gave you Xbox armor, didn't it? Yeah. And then you are behind the scenes arguments of like Xbox wanting their armor to be better than the PlayStation armor in terms mm-hmm. of a stat boost that it gave you and stuff like that. And then they were handing out like codes to GameStop that gave you new weapons that were more powerful and letting companies bid on them. And like pre-order bonuses that also gave you like um, armor suits that just made the game way easier from second one and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things that is like dead space. And I hope it's not in the remake. I don't think a lot of it was in Dead Space 1, though, was it? There was quite a few, like, post-game DLCs, like, such as, like, the Xbox and like, Dead Space right. 2 was rife with that shit. Yeah, and then 3 got even worse. Like, that that's peak fantastic, like, you know, 
team behind the gamers mm-hmm. that EA just you see them just like getting greedier and greedier, giving into that like me, sin. Yeah. Like me sticking the fingers into those pies. And just like you see EA's fingers get more and more over each dead space title yeah. and they're just like Bleh. all the the creepy nasty shit comes in. And when you go watch those like interviews with Glenn Schofield and you can just see how passionate he is to make the game and then you just see him like when he gets asked about it. so what are the struggles of making Dead Space? And you just see him just like Huh. and he has to be diplomatic so he wants to keep like you know working in the industry and he's like you know there, there was like no messaging from up above and the messaging of what we were trying to say was different so you know we ultimately parted ways it's like you know he wants to say fuck EA mm-hmm. we didn't want to put in microtransactions or the weapon building shit yeah and it's like that's why you know I am excited for Callisto Protocol and I'm really excited for Callisto Protocol now that it's been officially decoupled from PUBG Oh, yes, it was only part of their universe for a bit because so it was, that it was weird thing PUBG where was... PUBG became so successful. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, if anyone's unaware, mm-hmm. um, the battle royale that kicked it, like the battle royale scene off more like before Fortnite just copied it and took over. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you know, Player Unknown was doing stuff before Battlegrounds, but that was the one that got big. And um, yeah, it's just weird that they were like, right, we we're becoming a giant like worldwide company doing like loads of different things fingers in many pies again they are now a publisher and they greenlit callisto protocol but it was in the player unknowns battlegrounds universe Universe, even though it's like some weird game set hundreds of years in the future on callisto and it's like how are they going to be linked in any way but then they just they were like it's not just reminds me a little bit of the stuff we were seeing with like Dante's Inferno. Like they looked and they saw, wow, this is popular, and they just start pointing to the stands of like, look at all this shit we're gonna do, and that's like dramatically scale back. But I am looking forward to the Callisto Protocol as well. But before we move on from Dead Space, do you have a favorite Dead Space set piece? Because that game became so well known for like the set piece, mm-hmm. and like Isaac Clark just becomes like a fucking monster by the end of that series in terms of like this shit he's able to do. And I love that throughout those games, he gets progressively more pissed off that he has to keep dealing with that shit. Hmm. So the first game, he's he's a panicked engineer fighting for his life. The second game, he's tired of that shit, but he knows what he's doing. He's still scared, but he knows what he's doing. And he's just like, you know, it's just this reserved, just like, okay, I'll get it done. And then the third one, he's actively pissed off that he's still doing it. (laughs) Bear in mind, everyone, didn't speak in the first game. Didn't speak a single word now. And he just got told where to go and what to do, and he's like, oh, okay. And like, he had the grunts and the screams and the shouts. The but... most man grunts ever. <laughs> he was like, you know, the he was the survival horror in space version of just Link, where the only thing he would do is like, ah! <laughs> you did. Would you have like a favorite set piece in those so guys? Because mine. I was gonna okay, say, go for yours. Like, if you got I, it straight in mind, that's I a good have series. One thing straight in mind for favorite. And then least favorite. Okay, let's go. Um, I think my favorite one um, is probably the uh, nursery scene in Dead Space 2. When you walk in and like the late, like the little baby comes out and the lady hugs it and just explodes. Yeah. Like, the and fuck is going then on? Then you're like, oh no. And it's all like the creepy nursery music, like played down and sl- like, you know, slowed down. And like you've got the, the lights flashing, but then you look around and it's like all the bright nice playrooms covered in like children's toys and stuff but then like 
screaming explosive babies coming at you or like the scratchy toddler enemies and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. oh no, these babies all got fucked up and turned into necromorphs. And that was a great moment as well to play on a, like, I, Joe, people say, could you go back and experience piece of media for the first time? I mean, that one mm-hmm. of like going through and thinking, they're not going to have the balls to make an enemy type. That's a baby. Yeah. Which is weird because when I was playing through um, Dante's Inferno, there is a baby enemy in that. And that's one of those other things as well because all the enemies you're fighting are in hell. Right. So when they introduce the babies in it, and it's like, oh, Why there's a baby here. Why is a baby here. in hell? Yeah. And they talk about how these are the unbaptized souls, but you have the ability oh, to hell. punish the unbaptized. It's like, I guess fuck these babies for, <laughs> for not, like not being dying, baptized by their parents. What? Dying of dysentery before they got baptized and you can send them to hell. And it's like, why is that an option? Um, uh, but yeah, like least favorite. And it's maybe a moment you might pick for your favorite. Okay. Um, but like, you know, swapped around. So Dead Space 1 had the enemy that couldn't die. Dead yes. Space 2 brought back the enemy that couldn't die but also gave you, like, no proper save points between that ripping your asshole out and then the final boss of the game with, like, no save points, no health, nothing between, like, no shops, just you got fucked up by this thing and immediately into the final boss. Yeah, and I kind of managed to avoid that because I there is a way to kill that unkillable enemy at the end of Death, but it's a glitch. You knock it into a fan, but... And it falls out of world. That's what happened. When you knock right. into this fan, there's no um, collision behind it. And it falls out of world and mm-hmm. just, just ceases to exist in the game world. But I didn't know that. And I just thought, well, there's a fan there. And environmental kills are a big part of Dead Space. So I yeah. force gunned it into the fan and killed it and thought, well, that's what I had to do. But the game breaks after you do that and you get no encounters for like the next like five minutes. Oh, so I just okay. thought the end of the game was like, oh, it's, this is the all those levels that are full of stuff that you're supposed to get health for mm-hmm. fighting this thing. None of the enemies spawn, so I just got a full health pickups for the final fight. And I just I, thought it was like a boss fountain. I ended up having to do that final fight with, like, essentially the magic pixel on no health items. And it, it respawned you with what you had. So I basically had to just, for hours and hours on end over multiple days, just learn how to do that fight without getting hit. And limited ammunition as well, because I'd used it all on, like, Oh, yeah. it was one that of my a, worst gaming moments. It can be the best or worst moment, depending on how well you prepare. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's a survival horror game. You should be hoarding all that shit. Yeah. And one of the things I like about Dead Space, it's like the Resident Evil thing of on a second playthrough, you go from first time, you're like hiding around every corner, like <laughs> pew, <laughs> pew, pew. And then on a second playthrough, you're just like fucking Superman, just running through like kinesis, everything, stomp everything to death, get the ripper out. Yeah. You're like switching between weapons. But for me, both of my... Favourite and least favourite from the same game, Death Space 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, favourite is where Isaac is like, you know, we're on the space station up in the air and your lady friend is like, Isaac, I need help. Shit's getting real. And Isaac's like, fuck, I need to get better than that right now. So he puts himself into the gun and fires oh, himself yeah. out of the gun. <laughs> yeah. He's just one of those things of oh, the fact that he just does it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's, he like, and that's the moment in my head where I think Isaac gets like the ability to break the fourth wall of like, he knows he's not going to die because... Every time he does something cool, he always survives. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, like Nathan Drake tech of like, as long as he does something cool, he's going to survive. Mm. So he just like shoots himself out of that. Then you get the amazing thing of like all the sound disappears as he flies through. Yeah, the sound. And it's just like you're yeah. diving through like um uh, like the, the debris and then he crashes in. Mm-hmm. And I love as well that he doesn't land like a superhero. Like he actually, you know, he falls. He and stumbles gets hurt. through it, yeah. 
that's one of the best things I like about Isaac, his characterization through his animations of like, he doesn't do everything flawlessly. Mm-hmm. He always fucks up a little bit, but he's resourceful enough to survive. And he like, you know, he can keep an eye on his surroundings to make things um, uh, like work out in his favor. Like when he f- makes himself like a, like a jury rigged plasma caster right at the start of Dead Space 2. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's an engineer. And I yeah. like that idea. But my least favorite is in the same game. It's the elevator you're going up in. And you have all the, the necromorphs trying to climb in through the elevator for the holes in the window because this, it just goes on too long. Ah, uh, fair, yeah. You see, I'm surprised. I've honourable shout-out to, like, the thing that neither of us mentioned, the eye needle. I never had a problem. I do have a thing about things going into my eye, but because it's a video game, and I've, I, I don't I, know what it is about seeing it in a video game. Like, I guess the Uncanny Valley is still not, still, we're not quite there yet. I, I see it more. Just, this is a video game character, not it's a person. A very memorable moment, though. It's very memorable. It's very, very well uncomfortable. Done. And the fact that, like, it's not just like, oh, you know, put the needle into the eye. It's like the you fact that Isaac's there and his eyes like, huh, huh, huh. And the moment you like speed up with it, Isaac's eyes get more out of control, and you have to make sure that you're like slow and smooth with the needle to make mm-hmm. sure Isaac's eye doesn't freak out. And then, like, you watch it like, and it's like, yeah, it's one of those moments of like. I don't know many people that have played Dead Space 2 and don't remember that moment very distinctly. Yeah. It's a very memorable one. It's another one of those things of like, I can't believe they put this in. This seems like something you wouldn't be allowed to put in a video game and they mm-hmm. did it. And it's one of the things I always commend the Dead Space series for of like taking the gauntlet that Resident Evil 4 threw down with the Regenerator. Because I feel like the Regenerator must have been a big influence on Dead Space. No, they, they basically like, made that Regenerator enemy, didn't they? Yeah. And I was thinking, like, you know, they threw it down, like, survival horror with action elements. Mm. And that simple combination creates near-infinite replayability because you have the first experience of, like, you know, the survival horror aspect. And then the second thing is when the action kicks in. Mm -hmm. And Dead Space and uh, Resident Evil 4 and, to a lesser extent, Resident Evil 5 and the late Dead Space, as a result, are games that I can replay. That's uh, the thing is, I think... All the time. Resident Evil 4 is clearly, like, the the tippity-top in terms of which is the best of those games. But I'd say, like, Dead Space 1 and 2 do a good job of, like, holding a candle to RE4. Yeah. And then yeah, I kind of do... see RE5 and Dead Space 3 in a similar space of, like, you know, they went all out with the action scenes and the co-op and, like, it became shooter rather than a horror game. But, like, mm-hmm. they can be really good fun to play co-op. I think RE5's just, like, broken mechanics just make it a bit more fun to replay because you can, like... Yeah abuse like you know reloading during animations and stuff like that make it super like high skill ceiling yeah which adds to the replayability there but it became more of an action game with horror elements rather than a horror game with action elements mm-hmm. but yeah i'm super looking forward to um both that remake and callisto protocol because i want to pl- i want to replay dead space i'm hoping they put in all that cut content yeah, there's like yeah. um a it's mass a amount of cut content from been the super dead space open about like the development process uh they showed off a lot of dev diaries of like Here's our model of Isaac in like some box rooms with like no textures, and here's like the technology behind it and stuff. So I'm glad they're being so open with that. And they have said as well that they've got like all of the original design documents from Dead Space and like the developer notes of what they originally intended to do and stuff with like Which certain things yes. cut. So yeah, it would be really cool. Like they seem to have the like information there to be able to do that if they are given like you know the time and budget and stuff yeah because there's um, a story told i forget the name of the video but if you google like glenn schofield dead space tentacle moment mm-hmm. there's a 
an interview with him where he's talking about how the tentacle moment in Dead Space One, which is everyone, like, you know, that, that threw everyone off. Yeah. They're like, you know, you walk past a couple of these holes in the ground. It's like, oh, what's that hole in the ground? And then just tentacle pops out, grabs Isaac. And Glensko was like, we needed that moment. That moment was going to be the moment where we made players never be able to relax in any part of it. Because <laughs> we needed them to never feel safe, even when there are no necromorphs there. And the better part of that is that that's like the second or third time you walk past that hole in the wall. Exactly. And then after that moment, you'll never feel safe in the game. That's why I said we need it. That moment needs to exist. The problem yeah. was they need to rig um, like Isaac in like lying down. Mm-hmm. We need to like re-rig all of his animations with every gun in the game for lying down. Otherwise, yeah. and then you know make it doable for like whatever gun you happen to be holding in that moment to make it seamless. We can't like whip out the plasma caster, for example, if you haven't got the plasma caster on him. And they just said, like, uh, oh, something he says is there are three or four other set pieces we lost creating that moment and making it as, like, you know, polished as it was. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that as good as that moment was, those three or four set pieces that got left on the cutting room floor get put back in. Because I would love to go back through Dead Space and have stuff in there I've not seen. Yeah. So I get really to experience cool. it again. That shock, that surprise, that, you know, feeling of being on edge. Because, like, oh, shit, there's new stuff I didn't know about. Because mm-hmm. they, so they do kind of tease, like, the being unsafe when you think you're safe they tease it very early on with like the um mm-hmm. when you're getting chased by the necromorph and like the um elevator shuts before you get the plasma cutter the just elevator shuts just before the necromorph gets there but then it like shoves its pincers through and like starts crawling in and then the the door kicks back in and chops it in half and isaac's like oh, shitting yeah. hell but then yeah and the, the, game is great the fact they like actually that. pay off the the moment of like you're never fucking safe until obviously like you replay the game you'll learn the uh the ins and outs of it and stuff but first playthrough like you, from that moment as you say like you just don't feel safe yeah and then you, on a second playthrough you, you learn where the the seams are and so you well, play like re again isn't it yeah and the fact that like dead space did all the things as well where like you're not even safe in the menus like if i you, love that yeah if you get up your inventory to like go and heal or if you're trying to figure out where you are on the map, you're not fucking safe because it's all like diegetic and on Isaac's character. And goddamn, like there's just so so many design details that make Dead Space so special and stand out. And I'm super super looking forward to the hope that potentially going to put all that cool shit in mm-hmm. and put it all back in. But uh, yeah, we, we kind of talked a lot about Dead Space, mate. Is there anything you've seen this week? Um. That's happened this week. There's a lot that's happened this week, but I'm not sure how much of it you actually want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, one thing I will, I, you know, I was tempted to talk about. So you know what? We will. I was okay. watching um, a TV show on Amazon Prime last night, and it's not like a brand new show or anything, but it's um, Nathan for You. I don't know if you're okay. familiar with it. I've heard the name, but I'm not familiar. So describe Nathan for You to me. So Nathan for You, like, I'd again, I'd heard a few people talk about it and say it was funny. And basically it's this um, guy who is like, oh, look, I've got a business degree and I'm going to go help save these businesses. But he does so in, like, the most over-the-top, these-are-bad-ideas kind of way, but, like, plays it super straight as if he's being serious. So the first um, episode that I watched was, like, he goes to a frozen yogurt shop and, like, how can we improve our popularity? And he's like, tell you what, make a poo flavor. Is this like a scripted show or is it reality? As far show? as I can tell, it's a reality show. I don't think okay. there's scripted moments, but they're very, you never know with this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I was thinking, is it like The Office where it's presented it's, it's as It's like... not The Office. It is meant to be a reality TV show. As I say, you don't know how much is actually staged and like, you know, set up for jokes and stuff. But like, I'm taking it at face value here because okay. that's how that's how it displays itself. And like, yeah. So, you know, the idea is in that first one is like, oh, yeah, sell a poo flavor, but sell it for like a day or something. And then go tell all of the newspapers and get in contact with PR and stuff. Get them to do reports of this shop doing a crazy flavor. And then people will come in out of curiosity, you know. Who doesn't want to eat the poo ice cream? Who doesn't want to? And the, he actually gets, you know, a company that will make any flavor to go make it. Um, like, I can't remember what they call it. Like a simulated feces flavor or whatever. Um, Just, you know, flavor extract. They actually mm. made it accurate. Um, and he, he paid this company to make that flavor and they're like well we do say that we'll make any flavor you ask for so i guess and then you know he gets people coming in and they're like yeah this literally tastes like shit and it's like okay but but i feel like it's one of those things that you probably would fall for it once because that's that you someone says this is ice cream that's that tastes got, like poo got a lot of people like you can see coming into the shop and getting a taster of the poo one but then go in and buy in one of the other flavors because you want to get the taste of poo out of your mouth. Yeah, that's it's a it's a smart idea. Cause like, but like you know, a day later he tells the guy maybe this isn't the best idea, and then you just like it, you know, pans to like a picture of the shop reopening with just a little piece of paper on the front door saying like we don't sell poo flavor anymore. Yeah, it's probably one of those things where the the same idea you could have just done. Just any other wacky flavor, exactly. like carrot flavor. But that's you could the just point picked is, any other weird off the wall flavor. I think yeah, the I point of it. the show is to pick such a bad idea of like trying to be as straight faced and confident as possible to and make to make someone convinced that a poo flavor ice cream is a good idea or whatever. But the one that I got really shocked by was like, mm-hmm. so he said to this guy who owns a gas shop, "Is sell and label your gas price." being super cheap like way cheaper than any other you know competing area but you have to pay full price and then go to the rebate box with this rebate form and this rebate box is actually two hours away on top of a mountain so they'd get a super cheap price if they take this rebate form to the rebate box and post it manually themselves Otherwise, you're not losing any money because they're paying over the odds. And then it's like, but no one will do it, right? And then all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, fill out this rebate. People will want, for that discount, people will do it. People, like, that thing is they were like, oh, fill out this rebate. That would that guy out of business. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point is this is an awful idea. And just through. That's the worst one because, yeah, people, that would run someone out of business. Like, oh, yeah. Did they put a limit on it? No one will do it. So they did, did it for the day, and um, they're like, you fill out this rebate form, we've got a shuttle outside, we'll shuttle you to the bottom of the mountain, and then you've got to spend time like hiking up the mountain and stuff, and like eight people come along in this shuttle, and they're like, what? It's like, who's got their entire day free to go hike up this mountain to save like $15 on gas? And then, all there with jerry cans. And then what it is, is like, they get there, they get to the top, and it's like, oh, we've got some riddles to do. And it turns out that in the fine print of this rebate, it's like you've got to spend all day going through riddles to find the box and also an overnight stay is required. And then... Like, okay, that, that's taking the piss. It whittles down, though, and three people camp overnight on the top of this mountain with this guy. 
And then at the end, like, I think it's, you know, set. this is the part where I'm thinking mm. it, there must be some level of setup. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, he says, oh, we actually really got to know each other last night and there was no rebate box. We, the rebate was the friends we all made along the way. And then it pans to like a rebate box that none of them got to behind them as they all walk down the mountain like oh yeah it was all fine and i didn't think it was real anyway and but i'm like no, you'd be pissed off yeah but i'm like you people were willing to like it is that sunk cost fallacy isn't it of like I've been by the time you've been there for a few hours you've been there for all night it's like when the guy just says well now you've got to sleep in a camping tent and we'll find the box in the morning it's like well i've already spent eight hours of my day to try and get ten dollars back on gas yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? Of like, once you've got, once you've shit yourself in bed, it doesn't matter how much <laughs> shit there is. Yeah, and uh, that reminds me of like, you people will go to extreme lengths to save money, and it mm-hmm. reminded me of. Have you ever heard about the ten cent beer night? I don't think so. this could be an entry for a wiki. I'm thinking maybe this could be a wiki weekdays or something like that. So okay. ten cent beer night. If anything, it could be a fact for you. But ten cent mm-hmm. beer night was a promotion held by Major League Baseball, Cleveland Indians. I'm sure they've changed that name by now, or at least I'd hope they would, during a game against the Texas Rangers at the Cleveland Stadium in 1974. The idea behind the promotion was to attract more fans to the game by offering cups of, admittedly, low-alcohol beer for 10 cents. The equivalent of 55 cents in 2021. A discount on the regular price of 65 cents, equivalent to $3.57. Okay, yeah, so you're getting beer for what? Like an eighth of the price? Yeah, um, a substantial discount with a limit of six beers per purchase, but no limit on the number of purchases made during the game. Oh, wow, okay. And I'm not even going to read the thing. I'm just going to read, like, you know, the the summary on um, Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So, date, June 4th, 1974. Time, evening. Location, Cleveland. Cause, fan animosity from a previous game combined with a low-point beer being sold cheaply and liberally, 10 cents per cup. Participants, the Cleveland Indians, the Texas Rangers baseball clubs, and several thousand inebriated attendees. Mm-hmm. Outcome, Rangers Indian game forfeited to Texas. Non-fatal injuries, unknown. Oh, God. So it was a riot. A riot started within like the first half an hour. Because you just told thousands of people that they can get absolutely twatted for like a, a dollar. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing, for, for like, you know, that cheap beer or something like that, people will go to any lengths to save money. Mm-hmm. And there is no limit to the amount of like bullshit or hoops people will jump through to save that amount of money. Like how many times have you been to an event where it's like open bar and people like, they get like six drinks? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight away. And that's, um you know, we attended a friend's wedding where they were like, look, we've just bought a load of bottles in because... The place doesn't have a license, but mm-hmm. what we have done is all the drinks are free, but there are a few members of staff standing at the drinks tables. To stop people just and, taking them. And handing out the drink, because the moment you've got someone watching you there is when like people will take one or two drinks and not be like, I'm going to grab ten right now. So like, do you need to? It's like when you go to a buffet, in it, and you see people, like they fill the plate like this high. Mm-hmm. It's like... It's unlimited and it's like free after you paid entry. Just eat a little bit and go back. You're like, yeah. no, I need to eat it all now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do you, you see dogs and you put food in them and they'll eat and eat and eat until they vomit and throw up? And yeah. you think, fucking hell, animals are idiots. And then you go to a buffet and see how people eat there. <laughs> oh, God. That's a bad one. 
<laughs> See, that's a good answer. That I think after the level of bullshit you put people through, that can't be real. Like that's that's the thing is like again. I'd be so mad after that. Second I'm one. taking this TV show at face value of what it's claiming to be, but most TV mm-hmm. shows that are reality have an element of non-reality in them, where like there's an element of scripting. Uh, there is yes, and oddly enough, I watched a uh, reality TV show recently. Okay, and it's um, a reality TV show. Myself and my girlfriend. Oh, Love really Island. Enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Love Island now. <laughs> I, I do want to know though. Um, you can tell that Love Island is partly owned by like Warner Bros. because that shit is everywhere. Yeah, I have never seen a TV show get a bigger artificial push than Love Island. It is fucking everywhere. I clicked on anyway, Reddit the other week, and it was like every third post was Love Island. Love Island, yeah. Man, it's mental. Right. Some money has changed hands there. Anyway, the show is Blown Away, which is the glass-blowing oh, competition. Yeah. I, I love reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the first season at all? Yes, I did, yeah. Do you remember the villain of the first season, Deborah? The one who won, yeah. The one who won, yeah, the villain. Mm-hmm. And um, so people don't, I'm going to step to you, like, this is a glass-blowing competition show, and glass-blowing is a very niche thing. That's one of the reasons I like reality shows like that. Like, I get to watch this show about a super niche interest with people who are passionate about it and learn more about something I wouldn't have any knowledge of otherwise. Yeah, I think I watched to me it is very you mentioned experience. it on a previous podcast, and I would recommend it to people because Carl was like, oh, it's really funny just watching people say glory hole every few seconds, but like, but then you learn it's a stuff. really interesting show, yeah. Well, they have this person in it called Deborah, and she is the ultimate like, spoilers because Lou said like, she wins the first season. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, and she is just an awful, awful person the entire fucking time. She spends every like anything like, you know in reality you need a villain, but because it's like a Netflix one, and they're trying to get that like the same kind of energy I say is like Great British Bake Off, where there's no rivalries. Mm-hmm. It's not like they want everyone to succeed, but someone does have to lose at the end of each episode. Yeah, but yeah. for the most part, they want to show. This, this very niche, yeah. yeah, and they want to show this like this niche interest yeah. as being quite inclusive. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to show people fighting and arguing. And everyone on the show is really nice, really cooperative, has nothing but good things to say about all of the competition, except for her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever seen a reality TV show where you have someone openly saying that other people there are shit. Yeah, I was just like, oh, their work's just rudimentary and poor and shows like you know a lack of skill they really shouldn't be here i'm the only she's like Fuck! and then they win mm-hmm. and they win it's and so annoying it's really annoying as well because like multiple other seasons including the newest one have brought her back and i'm like take her off like she is a horrible person like she might not be a horrible person but the way they frame her in the show she's constantly just nasty and degrading yeah and she doesn't and she's constantly talking about like oh it's art like you like I get it, it is art. Yeah. But art is subjective. Mm-hmm. But she talks about art as if it's objective from her point of view. As of if like, she is always correct in what she says, yeah. And that her interpretations of individual pieces of work are the correct one. Mm-hmm. Or that like other people's interpretations are rudimentary. And you get like, that like, you know, um one of the two hosts is like an expert world class glass blower and has been doing it for like forty years or whatever. And in the the later season, like when Deborah comes back as a judge. That's the one I wanted to like, mention, yeah, because my girlfriend hasn't seen the latest season. Oh right, okay. And I was just watching it; it was on TV, and I just took a picture of Deborah, sent it to her, and went, "The villain of the villain <laughs> of our household is back." She, she just sent back an emoji, like, "No, like, why do they keep bringing her back? She's awful." It is awful, and like at one point, um, I can't remember the name of the the the, the female host, maybe Catherine. I can't remember. 
And, it's, uh, been, it's been like you know a couple of weeks since I watched it, but yeah. I, you mentioned reality TV, and I was reminded of why I watched. But like she says something about the, one of the pieces that they're judging, and then Deborah just basically slaps her opinion away. He's like, "No, I dis- I completely disagree. This is yep. what's right," and says it as if again it's objective fact in it because she doesn't like just something about the way she talks about these things like makes it seem as though she's the only person in the fucking room, and it really annoys me. She also as well acts as if like she's the only person who's like a glass blower and mm-hmm. she talks about it as if and it's it's really difficult to describe. So I reckon people just watch maybe that first episode of the third season when she comes in, just for the judging. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, some of the stuff doesn't look fantastic. No, but it's better no. than what I could produce. And also, some of the people are amateurs. Like one of the people in it is like, well, I do this as a hobby and I thought it'd be fun to join the show. And I've got and a couple of years goes, experience or whatever, yeah. And, like... and she just like it just shows like, you know, lack of skill. He really shouldn't be in this competition, you should get rid of him. And it's like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. When's the last time you heard of a judge who wasn't Simon Cowell shitting on someone like that? It's just, yeah. I'm glad that you, you feel the same way because we were like, you know, Jenna and I were watching it and we got visibly upset when she came back and it's like, not again! Stop! I just, I just... <gasps> Carl's Ooh. gone. I'm not, but I'm still here. Oh, your camera's gone. Where's my camera gone? Yes. Okay, but my video, I'm, my audio's still here, Your right? audio's again. fine. Let's reconnect. There okay, we so we didn't cut out on audio-wise. That's good. Uh, just double-check your recording, I guess. Make sure that's still... Yeah, I'm still recording. Still going, I think yeah. my, my, my camera just like glitched or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm still here. That really got to me when she came... Just, I don't think... It's like, I guess they're like... And that's the thing. They're not even like the villainous host. It's like they are a former contestant, and they're just coming on like, yeah, I'm the big dick. Fuck you. Yeah. Your work's shit. And I thought, this is a Netflix show, and it's a reality show, and like... Every other reality show I've watched on Netflix are always like really wholesome, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I describe it as the uh, Britain, um, the Great British Bake Off. Where the reason that show got so popular is because they don't have the super competitive elements of other reality TV shows. It's just people in, enjoying and indulging in a hobby with like you know hosts whose enthusiasm is very infectious, and you just get to see people having fun and you know, um, and it's you know making cool things much more enjoyable to like just sit there and binge watch an enjoyable experience rather than one that you have to like sit there and get aggravated with every time she's on screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like the when she came, I just wanted to bring up that third season when you just like going up to people's work and you, like you said you have a professional critic in that world mm-hmm. talking about well you know and being very diplomatic of like. Well, this, you know, the technique might be a bit rudimentary, but I can see the messaging they're going for. It might be a bit, li- their interpretation of the prompt was a little bit literal, but, you know, I, I still think there's like some promise here, and Deborah's like, no, it's shit. Yeah, it's But trash. doesn't offer it any sort of criticism, here, yeah. just says it's shit. And it's like, if you're going to be like a critic, you should at least explain your criticisms. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the villain. So when I sent my missus that picture of like, the villain is here, and she's like, why? Why would you send me this? <laughs> Yeah, I literally started watching it like last, you know, end of last week or whatever, and that first episode came on. And it was like because she'd already been back as a judge like one time in either I season two or like the Christmas one or something. And it's like, again, again, why? And I guess it's just because there's not many glass blowers. It can't be that big a world. Yeah, but they like maybe they could get the other previous winner from season two, or maybe they could like maybe get other people that were contestants. Or maybe someone who's just not... Anyone like, you know, with a likeable fucking personality. And that's the thing, is like, well, that's one of the things that frustrated me as well, because I, th- I think I rewatched the first season of like, are they that bad? And it's like, and they talk about, oh, I'm a really abrasive person, but I don't care what other people think. 
It's like, oh no, they're aware of the fact that people don't like the way they act, mm-hmm. but they're still acting like it. Yeah. They don't like that's bad. Yeah, they're one of those people of like the first thing that she says in the show is like, I'm an asshole, I don't care. Like, right, you're gonna be delightful to watch, and then you hope that they get knocked out early, and it's like, no. Nah. And they keep succeeding, they keep winning, and every time they're in like they don't win, they get really salty about why well, I was clearly the best mm. person here. Oh, it's like God, there are other people beside you. Like never ever being able to acknowledge that somebody else's work was better than her own. Yeah, it's maybe they were just better than you, or like, you know, their version of the problem. Or maybe it's just other people's, you know, subjective opinions. Yeah. Um, uh, differ from your own. Oh, God. Especially with something like art as well, with art being so creative and embracing like creativity. Mm-hmm. To have such a rigid regiment of view of it really put me off. But yeah, the villain of... Uh, but um, the show is great, to be fair. The show is fantastic, yeah, but like, she is like a blight. That one person out of three seasons has just been super horrible. Because like everyone else on it is like either adorable or just like really endearing. Yeah, and a lot of you know, a couple of them come in and are like quite confident in their abilities, but none of the rest of them are like, well, everyone else's work is shit, and I'm the best. Yeah, and I think one of the bits that got me is rewatching the first season because they have like glass blowing is a very physically strenuous task, oh, and yeah. you have assistants and for the most part the assistants are like largely hidden from view mm-hmm. like they have assistants but the assistants like you know off camera it's like they present as if they made it themselves but sometimes you'll like see someone like handling their piece but or, it's normally um, that they've constantly got two or three people working on every single piece every single episode because yeah guess what while they're like shaping the glass they've got someone else blowing the glass and things like yeah. that yeah well they might just have someone like you know off to the side like you know just making sure it doesn't fall off the edge or help him print things pieces that- and stuff like that yeah one of the things that I remember is that she's the only person who yells at her assistant. Yep. Like she yells at her assistant on camera and is like, do what you fucking told you in it. And like just ringing them out on TV. Yep. And everyone else and is like, super I, like polite to them. And like, you're helping me. And, you know, I think there's a couple of times where like the assistants mess up and they're like, oh, oh they no, drop don't it. worry about it. Like, it's fine. We can sort this out. We can work together. And treating them as like human beings. Ugh. Yeah, and it's just the fact that that person got rewarded with like a massive cash prize and then prestige within the industry to give them more ability to abuse and annoy people. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, you know, they were a talented glassblower. It's not that's not they're just not a very talented person. Yeah, in the in the realm of like you know personality and being personable, um, they don't have that talent. They definitely don't. Which is why it's very surprising that they keep getting brought on to become a judge because you. At that point, the glass blowing part of the element is out the window. The personality yeah. is what matters at that point. And it's a Netflix show, so it's not like you need to do the thing between. Like Joe, sometimes like for like RuPaul's Drag Race, something like you could tease the next episode, like who's coming in for the next episode, and they tease who it's going to be. So like, you don't need to do that. It's a Netflix show. We've got all eight episodes just live day one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, we can end it on fuck that lady. I hate her in that show, but that show is really good. I recommend people go watch it. Yeah, for sure. Do you have anything to plug? Because it'll be uh, the day this is coming out, and um, will be your stream of what's it called, the Lamb thing. The Lamb thing is the official name of the game. Yes, <laughs> no, uh, Cult of Cult the of Lamb. Lamb. Yeah, Cult of the Lamb. There it is. Yes. So I'm be, um, really excited on. to play that, and uh, we're going to make you know a cult in the name of my sausage dog Cade, of course. Yes, the Cade cult. Let's go. But yeah, you can the cult uh, of sausage. check that out. Link for my Twitch is in the description, but it's just Legend of Kanto on Twitch. 
Yep. And for myself, I will plug um, the live event because, you know, I'd like to, in the future, be able to earn money um, uh, for the channel and then like, hopefully later myself um, uh, playing video games and getting drunk. Oh, yeah. So I plug the live event and, uh, you know, the Discord where you can discuss and uh, arrange, like, you know, meetups. So there's been a few people posting of like, um, oh, uh, if, if I came to this like, on my own, would that be all right? It's like the whole point is to meet like-minded people, get drunk and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, it is. Yeah, of course. I get on it. And... um. Yeah, so we'll be wrapping up the podcast here, but for anyone that is on, you know, a patron over at patreon.com slash untitled side channel, we're going to just mm-hmm. go to the uh, exclusive post show now and just answer a couple of patron questions for y'all. Yeah, but we will still be doing a QA episode for, like, you know, the Carl's Corner QA at gmail.com. Indeed we do. That is a completely so separate p- thing for questions, and it's like, mm-hmm. that's the email that we get, you know, collate all of the questions together for the QA episode specifically. Where we get more in depth in our answers mm-hmm. and you know give them like um, uh, the time and um, uh, thought that um, uh, you know they would warrant. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, thank you all for uh, for joining in and yeah, go watch Blown Away. Go watch Blown Away and uh, go watch us next week when we probably don't figure out something to do with episode one hundred of season two of this podcast. Yeah, what you need to do, go watch Blown Away and then go to one of like the five discords we run to be like, fuck it, Carl, you're right. I'm waiting for something like, Carl, I'm so annoyed about Deborah. Let I'll, us know what you for think it. about Deborah in the comments. Let us know, yeah. Let us know if, like, if you know, or just like send us an email of like, who's your favourite villain from um, an and obscure I'll reality also TV show. say Zumbo Just Desserts, Daniel. Can't remember whether it's season one or two, but Daniel from Zumbo's Just Desserts, another one he's of like, villain in that. he's a villain of that TV show. And oh, he's, like, laughing when people's cakes fall apart and shit. What a prick. Yeah. So also just shout out to that dickhead. <laughs> so you're making cakes, calm down. And that's what makes it funny is, like, when it's, like, glass blow, it's like, this is the most pathetic you can look when you're wielding this amount of power <laughs> over someone. Oh, dear. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for uh, joining in. And time to head over to that post show, Carl. Goes to the post show. Cheers.